Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. All right, so that was just a great little segment of the story of David in that, like I said, just the restoration and restorative nature of that story is just awesome. And I just think Jonathan, again, is a great character in Scripture. He's a he's a wonderful example of somebody who understands honor. And we'll pick up with him again periodically. But just to project you know, down the line a number of weeks from now, like Jonathan sticks with his dad because I believe he sees the good in his father. He sees what his father can be. He is not out for himself. He's out for the beauty of the of God, the beauty of the kingdom, and and the and the plans of God. He's he's got a heart for God, and he understands that his dad has that heart as well. And he ultimately ends up dying alongside his father in battle. Like he just stuck with him all the way to the end. It's it's he's a beautiful, beautiful man in scripture. So feel free to uh, continue to ex, you know explore and expand on that character. He's he's a he's a fabulous fabulous character in scripture but we need to continue with david so when we when we left david had been restored to his position so he had his old staff position so to speak i keep using that phrase so to speak i am speaking it it's not it's not a so to speak thing you are literally saying the words bob okay he got his old position his staff position back he becomes a member again of the family table. He is he is not just a commander of the military now. He's he is the military leader, which is what he was you know originally given uh, as a commander of the military. He he takes on that role again. He he's he's as a cabinet position in the government under Saul, and then he also takes on uh, a leadership role in the prophetic ministry prophetic music ministry. He becomes a worship leader again at the palace. Now, here's where sometimes we, again, if we just read what's there, we think David was the only man in the country of Israel and the whole nation that played worship music or any music at the palace. And that would be a mistake to have that thought. I do understand why people have it is because we don't spend the time to tell the story in its complete form, mostly because the story is told by preachers who have anywhere from 20 minutes because they have satellite churches all around the world and they can only do little sound bites about the scripture and try and prove a point quickly. Or they have maybe 40 up to 40 minutes. But again, it's not enough time to go into all the details because usually they're preaching to, to prove a point or to shift a behavior, uh, or to show that they know something deep about a specific thing. So I, I, I understand why it's not noted, but it, David wasn't the only music, musician in, in the employment of the, of the palace. He was not the only one who was called upon when Saul was depressed and needed some cheering up. He wasn't the only one that, you know, that came to dinner, so to speak, and played music uh, while everyone ate and drank and danced and had a great time. Uh, you, I, I don't say that lightly, by the way, just, just again, another little note. It's a, if you, 
I'm like already projecting again into the book book of Exodus. But if you go to the book of Exodus, uh, and we will someday in our future, but if you break down the festivals of the Jewish culture, every month there was a party. Every month. And the only the only festival celebration that didn't involve drinking copious amounts of wine, and I do understand some people, again, I know you're saying to yourself, Bob, it wasn't wine, it was it was grape juice um, that had been uh, fermented slightly and then watered down with seven seven to one, but with water. So it was just it was barely it was basically the alcohol content of the of the grapes was to purify the water and that's that's what they, that's, that's what they were drinking okay fine I, I I preach that that's why I know this I, I don't I don't I, I mean do you have any idea how much of that you would have to drink to get drunk like literally you it, it, it's just impossible so so let's just not pretend I, I, let's just, well let me do it this way. Let's just ask, what if it was actually wine? What if? So every festival had copious amounts of wine, alcoholic beverages, which involves people feeling more happy and wanting to party more. I'm not saying they should be drunk. They should not be drunk. Drunk. Bible makes that clear too. But drinking wine was not a problem. And when God set up the law, the Jewish calendar filled with festivals every one of them he said i want you to have a good time why because i'm a god who has fun i love to party i love to have people get together as family and 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 hang out together and eat together and drink together and 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 it's not just for a meal like these celebrations were days long or weeks long which in a month is a pretty significant amount of time. And the only 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 festival, so to speak, the, what you use that phrase again, Bob. Stop it. The only festival that was not starting out with wine was a day of atonement in which you you fasted, right? But what did it end with? A party with lots of wine and food. And desserts, cakes, honey, lots of sweetness. Our God likes it. He likes people getting together and having a good time. I have no idea why I went down that rabbit trail. Look at the verses. Hmm, not sure what was going on. Anyways, so, oh, oh, that's right. So the prophet, he was was the worship leader again at, at the palace. So all that's going on. So verse 8, war broke out again, which is probably means it was springtime. Dun, da, da. War broke out. David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. He just beat the tar out of them. He probably was so, so full of purpose and identity, so connected again to the family, so understanding of how passionate God was for this nation that he fought with a heart and passion that he hadn't fought with probably for a couple years. He was married. He was connected. He was, everything was just, he was in such a good spot. And he just goes out there and 
that fires up the men, and the men are passionate. They're so excited to be fighting alongside David. David is swinging his sword and slinging his slings, and and people are just running. Philistines are just running. Like you, you have to, you have to figure the first battle back after winter, like the first spring battle, had to be the big one. Like you, like the Philistines were like, yeah, now we're ready. Like we've licked our wounds, we've recovered, we've 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 built more iron you know, swords and spears and and arrow tips. We are ready to roll. And David goes out and just crushes them. And they go back running. It just that whole idea of like, this was like, what happened? What happened? Like, we thought we had this and we do not have this. It's like uh, sometimes if if you're into into sports, sometimes you have a, a team in a particular conference that just is doing really, really well. And then they go to the playoffs against a team from another conference. And, you know, that's a stronger conference. They're used to tighter and, and more aggressive competition. And they get up against this quote undefeated team from this other conference. And they just get, you know, the undefeated team just goes down, but doesn't, it goes down ugly. Like they just lose big time. They can't, they can't hang on to the ball. They can't score with the ball. They can't keep the other team from scoring. It's just, it's just not pretty. And they go home licking their wounds. They go home basically shaking their heads, going, "What happened? Like we were undefeated. Like everything was great. We were in, everything was clicking. And now we're in this bowl game, or now we, you know, we we go to this playoff, and and we, you know, we can't get out of the first round, or we literally can't score." And now we're all going home. That was the kind of attitude, you know, the, the attitude, the atmosphere that was created when David went out and he struck down the Philistines. He just, it, he crushed them. Then the the next verse, it says, but an evil or a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And, and again, I'll get into that, but let's read where it takes place, right? As he's sitting in his house with his spear in his hand again there's that spear it keeps it, i don't think this guy ever let go of it i get the sense he slept with it or it was really close to his bed when he went to sleep while david was playing the lair so there you go here's the scene david goes out and he defeats the philistines <laughs> they, the ability, I have to laugh, like the ability of David to shift gears here is fascinating to me. This guy is so multidimensional. And I believe it's because he's so connected to God and he lives so connected in the moment that he literally can give all of himself to anything that he's doing because he just, it, it oozes out of him from his awareness of God's presence within him. He has an awareness of, of God's presence. And so God can do 100%, like God's involved 100% and 100% of the time. No matter what's going on, God's always there. And and David was always there mentally and emotionally. So here he is, verse 8, he's out winning a huge battle, defeating the enemy, like not just physically, but emotionally, just crushing their spirit. And then it's uh, like he comes home. It probably was, you know, several days, if not a week later, he's home. Everything's settled down. The Philistines have basically said, okay, you won. Uh, we're not coming back. Like the, the, the war, wartime, spring wartime battles are over. We, like we're done. We're, we get it. You're just really, really powerful. And we're done. We're out. We're good. You guys be nice to us. We'll be nice to you. 
let's let's just play nice. So all that's going on. So that that happens over a period of time, that negotiation back and forth. David would have been able to sign off on that because he was the commander of the army. He comes home and Saul isn't doing well. Why isn't Saul doing well? Because Saul is seeing and hearing again all those whispers of lies in his in his in his head. And and you know, whispering lies, I think, is probably one of the best phrases because that is what happens when the enemy has a lie in you. When he has a lie about who you are or how you know, if you're lovable or you better earn the love, you know, if God says he loves you, but you better earn it. Uh, you don't deserve God's love. You better find a way. You've disappointed God, and so you know He has to love you, but He doesn't like you right now because you're a disappointment. Those sort of lies just—they do get whispered. And everything was going relatively well. Like circumstantially, you could look at Saul and and the nation, and you could say this this nation's doing really well. Saul is a is a really good king, and he has an amazing general who's overseeing. Uh, the troops in in Abner, and he has an amazing commander who oversees the actual battles in David, and things are good. Things are good right now. And they go out, they win this big, big deal. David and Abner probably sign off on a pre- peace treaty, at least until the next uh, war season. And Saul is just spiraling out of uh, out of his own contentment. Because when, when somebody who has... Uh, when you're struggling with with self-rejection and things are going well in your in your life, you start to think, right? You start to think as a victim because you can't you, you can't deserve the good stuff that's happening. So something bad must be coming. And we've talked about that before in previous podcasts. We broke down what what the life of fear is like. So there is da- there is Saul. Everything's going well. Circumstantially, everything should be fine. He should be he should be emotionally really happy right now and he's not internally he's thinking i don't deserve this i'm going to screw this up something bad's going to happen somebody's going to turn against me uh and then you and then he starts to think more specifically i know what's going to happen i know what's going to happen i know what's going to happen david's going to come back from the battlefield everybody's going to love david everybody's going to cheer david everybody's going to sing songs about david no one's going to sing songs about me no one's going to remember that I'm the one who put him there. No one's going to remember that I'm the one who forgave him and took away the death warrant. No one's going to remember that and around and around and around. And and I've I've been with many people with this with self-rejection issues, and the spiral is is fast and it's toxic. And the more you breathe in that atmosphere, the more toxic you become, the more of a victim you become, and it gets ugly. And it got ugly for Saul. So I think David probably volunteered for this worship set. I think he probably was like, oh, yeah, let me play. Like, I literally, I'm, I'm, phew, I'm doing great. Everything's good. I literally have nothing else to do. Like, as a musician, an opportunity to, to play? Absolutely. Yeah, let's get my lair. I'll come down and we'll play. I mean, I know. I know what God can do. I know. I've seen Saul. I've seen him worse. Don't worry about it, guys. I got this. And he goes in and he starts to play. He starts to play. And and Saul starts to hmm, just really enjoy what's going on. He hears the the skill. You know, I've I personally I've heard so many musicians. And I love music. 
I love music. I really like it loud. And I really love percussions. As you can probably tell by my intro music, I love the drums. But I just think there's, there is a difference. And I, I can't always explain it because I'm not a musician in that sense. But, but someone can pick up the same guitar, play the same song, and there's just a difference. A skilled player to somebody who just knows the music. There's a heart difference and a presentation difference and a and a um, there's a there's a there's a cohesiveness to the lyric and to the melody that that is it moves from good to excellent and your spirit knows it even if you can't put your finger on it and I just picture Saul you know uh, knowing David's coming or starting to hear the music, even if he doesn't know it's, it's David at this point uh, playing, he starts to hear the music and he just closes his eyes and he just starts to sway back and forth like, yeah, oh, that's good, that's good, I like that. Oh, that's a good song, man, that's good. Yeah, keep singing. And then he maybe he opens his eyes and he sees that it's David and he smiles and he's like, Oh, I knew it was you, right? But this, quote, evil spirit from the Lord. And again, uh, I just want you to ask yourself this question. What if God doesn't send evil spirits? What if the writer in this, in this, in this passage, what if the writer only knew of one way to explain what was happening, that it had to happen from God? What if, what if this is, and I believe that, that, that uh, academically, it's not a like you're not making stuff up. If you look at this phrasing and you say it wasn't from God because God doesn't have evil spirits to send, so where does this come from? And what he's saying is there's there was a spirit, and the spirit began to influence him, and he picked up his spear and he tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, which means he threw it really hard. But David eluded him and the spear did go into the wall. I mean, it sunk into the wall. That's that's the phrasing. It was not like just kind of hanging on by the tip, like this thing was in the wall. If it had hit David, it would have went through David and pinned him to the wall. And it says that that night, David made good his escape. So that's kind of a, a prelude to the rest of the details that come out uh, in the next few verses. So here's, here's Saul. He's in the, in the moment. And this is what happens a lot of times. Stay with me on this. A lot of times when you're connected to heaven, when you're connected, especially whatever you want to call your worship experience. Now, sometimes it's, it's, you know, for some it is nature. Like they just sit, they sit at a seashore and there is something, they hear the voice of God. They just really, really connect. Or maybe it's a lakeshore or, or the river. Like there's something about water that just draws them to the the throne of God. There's something about hiking. Sometimes it's mountaintops. Sometimes it's desert scenes. Sometimes it's caves. Sometimes it's canyons. But there's something about hiking that brings them closer to the to the can, you know to their awareness of God's presence. There's something about you know about nature and about about the, the flowers and the trees 
or the season that they go hiking. There's, you know, the, in the in those moments, they're just really connected. Some of them, it's it's you know, it's just art in general, whether it be whether it be uh, photography or or paintings or dramas or maybe media of some sort. You know, there's certain movies, certain certain uh, music that just brings them to a place where they're like really aware of what God's doing. They just see God's hand and and they become very aware of God's presence within them. So when you're in those moments, when you're connecting to God and a lie comes into your head, like the enemy whispers the lie, you start to think that God's in that. You think that you think that this is a God thought. And when you what because because you are connected to heaven at that in the moment you start to it's easy it's easy to make the connection that God's God's in this now this is this this happens so many times right especially for me what I've seen it in uh, happen a lot with is in relationships and I I only have experience with this because I'm I'm a highly relational person and my in my pastoring communication is one of the main main things that I that 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 is like a passion for mine and and I my wife and I literally we we will teach communication techniques um because we know how important communication is so you're in this moment right you're connecting with heaven and and the enemy gives you a thought and sometimes it, you know it might be uh you, you're you're sitting there worshiping with your wife or your spouse we'll just make it a spouse you're worshiping with your spouse, da, 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 and then you think of someone else. And in the moment, you think, oh, why am I thinking of that person? I'm not, that. that's not my spouse. Why would I think of that person? I'm in this worship time. I'm, maybe I'm arm in arm with my spouse, or you know, we're worshiping together. We're right next to each other. And now I've thought of this, this other person. Oh my gosh, maybe that's God. Maybe I'm not supposed to, like right away, we we start to go down these lies, and I'm I'm not making it up in that this never happens. It happens a lot, and then later on, you you find yourself reviewing the circumstance. Right? I thought of them. I wonder if that means I'm you know I wonder what I mean. But yeah, am I supposed to be with them? Why would God give me that thought during worship? If I'm, if something isn't supposed to, so then you go and talk to them and you, like, I don't need to go down the, the crazy trail of like cheating on your spouse or divorcing your spouse in the name of God. Like somehow God becomes the reason why you're doing these things because the thought came during worship. Uh, Sometimes it's about, you know, it's maybe about money. Sometimes it's about uh, cheating. It's whatever. It's whatever isn't of God. You get the thought during a time with God and you think, oh, I'm, it must be okay. God must be okay with this. God must be okay with me doing this. God must be okay with me because, you know, I thought of it. I thought of how to cheat the company. I thought of how to steal the money. I thought of how to cheat on my, on my, uh, spouse. I thought of how to, um, whatever negative behavior it is. I thought of how to lie. I thought of the lie during worship on how to get away with this, you know? So I think God's okay with it. Yeah, God's okay with it. So this is God, now God's will. This this is where I think Saul is when he tries to pin David to the wall. 
He's sitting there in worship, and once again, he gets the thought, maybe I am supposed to, like, he gets the thought, if, if David was dead, everyone would be in love with me. Like, David's the only thing that stands in my way from, from being at peace and being able to get through my day without all this depression. Like, literally, David's the resource of all negative things that happen to me. He ties it all back into David, which every victim does, and it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make logical sense. I've spent hours with people in the victim mindset and the stuff that they come out with, the way that they tie certain things together. I want, like I, I sit there from my perspective and think really that like, Oh my word, this person is way in there. Like to pull them out is going to take a lot of work, which is fine. I understand journeys and I understand steps and that's all we try and do is take the next step. I don't try and pull them out in one meeting, but I understand the illogical uh, uh, connections that can be made in these times. And I see Saul making that connection, sitting there thinking, if David was was out of my way, my life would be fine. And then he thinks, wait, maybe that's maybe God's telling me because I'm here in worship and I'm connecting with heaven. And I think maybe this is God saying that he is finally going to give me permission to kill David. Like the Philistines haven't killed him. My my humiliation of David didn't didn't make him less popular in the nation. My second daughter fell in love with David and hasn't worked for me. The Philistines continue to run from David, and David keeps winning battles. So maybe maybe the fact that I'm thinking about killing David now is actually God telling me it's okay for me to take a shot at him and see what happens. And and this this is the time that I'm supposed to kill him. And he takes a swing, so to speak. I mean, literally takes a swing, just haul back and whips this spear at David. And David ducks. The spear goes into the wall. And again, that Hebrew phrasing means it went, it sunk deep, probably into the a beam of some sort. It probably wasn't the the limestone stucco or whatever it is that they built the palace out of. It, it stuck deep, and David made good his escape that night. He just, he was like, okay, uh, time for me to go. It was great hanging out with you. I hope you have a good night. I'm going to let uh, some of these other musicians take over now. That's that's kind of the sense you get. Like, David's like, okay, I'm out. Like, we've, this has happened before twice, uh, then one session, and that, you know, ended up with me not really kind of, well, not really actually losing my my role as a part of the family, losing my role as a worship leader, losing my role uh, as part of your cabinet. So I'm just going to leave now. I'm not going to hang out for the second second toss. Uh, we'll let the other musicians carry on. And he left. So Saul sends, David's, uh, sends men to David's house. He's like, guys, you know, you can picture them outside the door or whatever. They hear the big thump of the spear. And he's, he, you know, they, they might have been on alert. And David comes out, says, gentlemen, and he leaves. And Saul's like, guards. They come in. He's like, I want you to watch him. Follow him. Do not let him out of his house. Kill him in the morning. Now, I don't know why they didn't kill him that night. Maybe because everyone was watching. Maybe because Saul needed to make some political arrangements. 
<clears throat> maybe there's a lot of maybes in here. I don't know why it wasn't an immediate death sentence, but he said, wait until morning and then kill him. So they go and they stand outside. <clears throat> I don't think David knew that he was on the death watch, but Michael found out or Michelle, depend, depending on how you want to say her name, his wife finds out. I'm guessing that probably came through the back channels, servants, attendants, family members from the house of Saul who liked David and knew that Saul was once again making a rash decision from a place that he went to periodically that they didn't like when he was there. And so they send a warning because maybe Michelle wasn't at the house and David was. And so off she, off she went. She runs in, into the house or maybe walks in there and opens the door, tries to act like everything's normal, shuts the door, and she runs up to him. He's like, David, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Like my my dad has, this is not just a death warrant. He has already sent assassins. They are outside. Now, these assassins are clearly of a, of a, you know, a family connection who are part of what many dictators call like the honor guard or the the you know the the elite guard they are ones that are sworn to to do only you know to strict obedience no questions asked of the king they are not part of the commander's uh army they are not part of you know any little other piece of the army unless the king says go do battle today they work for the king. They are assassins. So Michael puts together this plan. And maybe they've already discussed this, like David, because obviously he had been under our death warrant before. He had been dis, you know, dismissed by her father before. She was in love with David. She wanted to make sure that there was a plan for him to stay alive. She didn't want her the love of her life to be killed. So they probably put together an escape route in the past, David knew, okay, if I have to get out of here, you let me down through the window and I know where I'm going to go. So that's what happened. I don't know if it was a basket. I don't know if it was a bucket. Doesn't really matter. It was a, it could have just been around his waist, under his arms. I don't know. She let him down. I don't know if this was a far drop. I don't know if it was a short drop, but it was long enough that they needed a rope and she let him down. He gets down to the bottom, unties, and runs. And Michael decides to further the uh, opportunity to give David some time. She puts an idol, lays it in the bed, covers it up with some clothes of David, um, maybe a blanket. I don't know if they had blankets or just robes that they would sleep in. And she puts some, some goat's hair on the top of the of the top of the head, now, David's hair was very unique. Uh, they, they it seems to be anyways. It's indicated that by the word that he was Rudy uh, when when he was uh, anointed with oil. Some people, legitimately, it's a legitimate translation to say that you know he he had a complexion that was that was red, or some would say that his hair was red. So maybe he had a red hue to his hair. It uh, might have been curly, who knows? But whatever it was, there was it. It looked like a goat, and maybe that's why they had this goat hair, is because 
It looked uh, somewhat like David. And maybe because they had discussed an escape plan, they hung on to the goat. Like this this idea of putting goat's hair, like you just can't put any goat's hair on the top of an idol and say, oh, yeah, uh, don't worry about that. That's my husband. Well, why does he have, you know, brown? I mean, goats come in brown, white, black, red. Uh, they come in in, in uh, multicolors, spots. Like it's, you got to have the right thing. You can't just throw any goat's hair on top of an idol and say, "Oh yeah, don't worry, Dave's sleeping." No, 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 no. Like that's you. You got to pay attention to this. Clearly, they had a plan. They knew what they were gonna do, and she did it. And it was just to bide time to give David more. You know, whatever that is, 15 minutes, 15 seconds, another hour, whatever it took, give him more time because he needed to get down the road. He needed to get down fast. I don't think he had a donkey to ride. Maybe he did, but David knew where he was going to go. He was going to go about 20 miles away to a place called Ramah. But it was the place of where Samuel uh, hung out. I don't know what interactions David's had with Samuel since his anointing, but I'm sure Samuel was very aware that David keeps winning battles and therefore knew that that the Lord was, you know, uh, not with him. That's a wrong phrasing because it makes it sound like it's outside of himself. He knew that David was very aware of the of the voice and direction of the Lord, that that he was aware of the wisdom that came from heaven. And he was aware that the favor of Heaven was with David because the goodness of God is always shows up. So there you go. Uh, Saul, now you know Saul. Uh, how do I want to say this? Saul misunderstood the favor that was on David's life as a rejection from God, and and we can all we can often do that. We look at the favor on someone else's life and we say, oh, God doesn't do that for me. Seems like anything that guy tries, he turns into, you know, God's always with him. Seems like anything that guy says, everybody wants to listen. Well, I'm smart. I'm smart. Why doesn't God let people listen to me? (laughs) Or I guess it could be a female doing that too. How come everything she does, everybody loves? How come when she comes up with an idea, everybody listens to her? When I give an idea, no one listens to me. Well, my voice matters too. I matter. I don't care what you say. I matter. God loves me too. So I don't care what you say. And and we become victims. We don't, uh, we don't look at the favor on someone else's life the way we should. And that is as an invitation from the Lord. It's an invitation to say, wow. I need to move forward. I need to be in connection to heaven the way that person is. I need to understand what God's trying to do in my life, what he's preparing me for. I need to take this challenge as an invitation to go deeper with God, as an opportunity to be promoted with God. Yes, I feel hurt and offended, but I need to flip that and turn that into an opportunity for for wisdom and promotion because that's what it is. Saul had, in the first part of chapter 19, Saul had repented, right? He had turned his perspective to heaven's perspective. And David went out and won a huge battle. And Saul interpreted that to mean that that 
David was going to get in the way again. David was going to was going to uh, take over the country instead of reading it like, look at what favor on the nation has come because I've restored connection because I've you know I I repented and made things right and and the family is together and the nation is together and the this person you know David who loves God and me who loves God like we're working together like there's there's all of this positive stuff going on and now the favor of God has come upon the nation we literally have crushed the Philistines that they don't even want to come back to war this year like we did, we got one battle and we're done like that's favor that means the rest of the year we can work on on growing our our crops and increasing our our productivity and increasing our our herds and and our nation will be richer because of it he had an invitation to to see the favor of god through david as a reward and as a as a blessing on him and the nation because of repentance and restoration and instead he chose to see it as a as competition and he decides to kill david again so off they go david's running he's got about a 20 mile journey Michelle or Michael's waiting for morning. Morning time comes. They're waiting. They finally are like, okay, let's knock on the door. Like David hasn't come out yet. Maybe there was an appointed time that David always came out of the house. I don't know. But uh, the men that Saul had sent make connection to Michelle. And she goes, oh, he's sick. He doesn't feel well. He's still in bed. That's why he hasn't come out. So so they go back to Saul. They don't even look. They're like, uh, so, yeah, Dave's sick, so he's not coming out of the house. Saul's like, well, I don't, so what? Bring him to me. Bring him in the bed. I'll kill him myself. Like he's, Saul's now not only entrenched in his lie, he feels like he feels trapped by his commitment. Like I've said, I'm going to kill Saul. I sent assassins to kill Saul. They didn't kill him. Then I'll kill him myself. Like you go get him and bring him here. Drag him out on his bed. I'll kill him. So the men burst in. I I kind of that's you know the, when the men entered. I just think it was kind of aggressive. They get into the bedroom. Michelle's probably standing off to the side. She knows she's in trouble. Because she lied. She wasn't told to lie. Like there's no indication that she was told to lie to the men. I do know that laying an idol on the bed and covering it up and putting the goat's hair on it is a way of deception. And and yes, I think it was part of the plan. I don't know where the plan came together, but deception was part of it. I don't think that God condones that. I don't think that reading this means it's okay to be deceptive and it's okay to lie. David didn't tell her to lie. There's no indication that she was told to lie, but she lied. She said he's ill. Not something that was part of the plan that I can tell of, that I can tell. So they go and they burst in. They see that it's just an idol and, and, and some goat's hair. And Saul is, pulls Michelle in, or Michael in. It's, again, time-wise, we're probably talking at least two hours of life have, have now gone since the first time she told the guards that, she had, that David was ill. Why she didn't run I don't know. I think it's because she had nowhere to go. 
her whole life was in the family, and she totally loved David. So she didn't know where to go. She waited. She stayed at the house. The guards came back. They they entered the house. They burst into the bedroom. They see that it's an, that that they've been lied to, and so they bring Michelle back to the throne. And Saul's like, "What's going on?" They're like, "Well, she lied to us." And Saul's incensed. Why did you deceive me like this and send my my enemy away so that he escaped? Again, Saul's perspective has gone back to the bottom. I don't know where Jonathan is in on all this. I'm guessing if Jonathan has, was aware of this, he would have done the same thing he had done before, which is find a way to restore relationship. And we'll see later. Jonathan does try to do that, but because that's the heart of Jonathan. But I don't know where he was this night when his father wasn't doing well and he tried to kill David. I don't know where he was that night when, when he sent assassins, assigned guards to David's house to kill him when he got up in the morning. I don't know where he was when they went back and, and were literally going to pick up the bed and carry it into the throne room so Saul could kill him. I don't know where he was when, when Michelle is standing in front of her father and she, he says, why did you deceive me? Why did you lie to me? And send my enemy away so that he would escape. And Michelle says, David told me, let me get away or I'll kill you. So she lied again. Why does she lie again? I'm guessing it's a habit. <laughs> it's a family attribute. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you, once you lie, right, you tend to lie more. It's it's not an unusual thing for people to pile lies upon each other. She's probably thinking survival of the fittest. It's a victim mentality. You could say, well, what, what would have happened if she told the truth? Well, you know, this would have happened, that would have happened. We don't know. We don't know. This is what often, you know, it's the same thing with, I'm sure we'll hit it again in, in Genesis, but like when Rahab, was that Genesis or Judges? I guess that was Judges. But when Exodus, when they go into the promised land, they hide out in a hotel, Sash Rahab, the harlot. We don't know if she was actually a prostitute or not, but or had a hotel where harlotry occurred. But either way, she had a bad reputation. But she lies to people and helps the you know the two of the spies uh, two of the spies escape, uh, and off they off they run. And a lot of people are like, see, sometimes it's okay to lie. It's never okay to lie. I don't know how God's goodness would have showed up if she had told the truth. I don't know. But this is what I trust. I trust God's goodness more than I trust a lie. And I have a feeling God trusts his goodness more than he would trust you to lie. You don't have to lie. You can just let the truth be told and figure it out. Just watch what happens. You don't need to lie for God's plan to move forward. I think Michelle lied because she lied. And periodically that was part of her life you say well she's an idol worshiper yeah a lot of people are a lot of people were a lot of you worship idols right we worship idols all the time little ones well we, we would never say it out loud but anytime we worship or give credit to something that isn't you know that isn't of the kingdom like whenever we work outside of the realm of love and hope and joy like it's a it's a form of of idol worship it's a form of just giving credit to something that that isn't of god we give credit to to fear. We give credit to uh, to a deception. We give credit to our abilities. It's 
It's it's fine. Like, please don't make a big deal out of this. She lied. A lot of people lie. So when David fled, like, we kind of get like a flashback. She lied. She said, David told me he'd kill me. So I'm at that point, Saul probably just pushes her away. Like, well, she's just a silly girl who's in love with a man, and he got violent with her. Like, now in, in Saul's mind, he has more reason to kill Saul, or kill David. He has more reason to go after David because he threatened his daughter, and, and she gets pushed aside. So we get a flashback that when David fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel. He went 20 miles. He took off. He knew where he was going. And he gets to Samuel and he tells everything that Saul has done. Listen, he's tried to kill me. He sent assassins after me. We, you know, we made up. Everything was good. But now he's trying to kill me again. This is, you know, this is not going well. Can I stay here? And so they went north to a place called Naoth. Now, Naoth is in the same region. It wasn't that far away. It basically was like a, it's the name of like a compound, a housing compound. It's a, it probably housed the, the school of Samuel, the prophet, a prophet, profiting school or prophet, uh, prophesying school where you could, you could learn how to, how to listen to the voice of God. You could learn how to soak what we would call soak in, in his presence. You also learned how to administer uh, the principles of the law of God in a way that, you know, that would be just and righteous. So they went there. Basically, again, David didn't run from the country. He didn't try to abandon his people. He was looking for a safe place to hide or at least hang out. I, again, this is, this is a pretty public place to show up. Samuel, the prophet of God. He's not a unknown entity. He's a celebrity, multi-winning general of the army. He's he's been around. People know him well. So David goes to him knowing that Samuel has enough friends in the military and in in the cabinet of the government that we probably can get you know, we probably can keep David from being killed. So I don't know how long he stays there, but word comes to Saul that David is at Naoth in Ramah. And so he sent men to capture him. Again, now this is 20 miles. So how long did it take for the word get back to Saul? Probably at least a day. And so Saul puts together probably the elite troop, people that were under specific loyalty and obedience to the king. And they go down to get after David. And what happens? Well, they become overwhelmed by the presence of God. This is this is pretty awesome. So he sent men to capture David, but when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the spirit of God came over Saul's men and they also prophesied. So this is a for lack of a better concept, this is a worship experience. So so let's put it in today's culture. This is like David David is a worship leader at a huge church, the national church, where the king worships. Now, it's not necessarily the biggest church on the planet. It's just the most prominent church in the planet. 
The king worships there. David leading worship. The king tries to kill him. David runs away. He runs to a, a big ministry school that has a very high, well-known celebrity president that oversees the school. And this president and the, and the king used to have a relationship. They used to know each other really well. And the king sends troops to the school to capture David. He finds out David's there. And the, the president of the school is leading worship when the troops arrive. And the troops arrive and the prophets are prophesying and the music's playing and Samuel's standing there as their leader. And the, the men walk into the, into the sanctuary, for lack of a better term, and they become overwhelmed with the presence of God. This happens, people. I've seen this happen. And I've heard many testimonies from missionaries about how, how you know, witch doctors show up during a worship service and they become overwhelmed with the presence of God. I've heard many stories from pastors about people who came in to do ill will to the to the congregation, whether it was whether it was cause a riot or cause destruction or cause death, and they come in and they're overwhelmed by the presence of God and they begin singing. And here the men begin to prophesy and they get such an experience with God that they realize that what they've been asked to do is not appropriate in the kingdom of God. And that is to capture a murderer, an innocent man. So they go home. So Saul dismisses them. Now, this is Saul who knows what it's like to have this kind of experience with God. So he dismisses the men. He doesn't send them back. He sends different. He sends more men. And the same thing happens. Again, I don't think this happened overnight. This is a 20-mile journey. So these guys get there. I mean, if you, if you, I assume that's a half day, right? They get there. They get, they, they're part of this worship set. It's pretty awesome. They come back, and it's now nighttime, and the reports come in. They're like, how are we going to tell them? Well, we're going to tell them. This, this is, this is the, like God showed up. That's the awesome thing about, about being in that kind of experience with God is you are so convinced. <laughs> You're so convinced that anything anything that happens will turn out good because the presence of God is so filled with hope. Like there's just no option. So you, these guys are sitting there going, okay, we're, we're, we know we were there. David was around, but we didn't bring him back. But that's okay. God will figure this out. God will figure this out. Like, do you remember what happened? Like that was crazy. That was crazy what happened. That was so God, like God's going to figure this out. So they show up. They explain it all to Saul, and I'm sure in their head it makes sense, even though what they're saying they also know doesn't really make sense. And Saul just nodding, and he's like, oh, get out. And he calls in another group of men. Go get me, David. So they went, probably the next morning. They show up. Samuel's leading worship. He's he's teaching school. They're prophesying. They're connected to the presence of God. And, and God is speaking, and the men walk into the sanctuary, and the same thing happens. They become overwhelmed by the presence of God. They begin to sing. They begin to prophesy. They begin to see life from a new perspective. And in, in essence, they repent. This is, in essence, the gospel of God right here, the love of God overwhelming the, the evil intents of the heart and, and changing things within the person. And when they're all done, they leave without David again. And that group of people show back up at the palace later on that night. 
and they explain it all to Saul, and to them it makes perfect sense, even though the words they're saying don't necessarily make sense. But God, within the presence of God, it makes sense. They're like, oh my gosh, like Saul, you can't even believe the thing that happened. And Saul can believe it because Saul's been there. Saul knows that this kind of stuff happens in the presence of God. And he's like, okay, fine, get out, get out. And the reason why I know Saul understands what's happening here is he doesn't kill these men. He just dismisses them and he takes another group. He sends a third group and the same thing happens. Now, this should be a constant reminder to Saul. What you're trying to do is not my plan. I am not in this plan. I don't care if you got the thought to kill David, quote, when you were in my presence, I'm making it abundantly clear over and over and over again. This is not my plan. You're not supposed to kill. You're not supposed to kill. Innocent life. So there he goes. The same thing happens the third time. He, they go back. They report to Saul. He finally really, you know, re, is so frustrated by the goodness of God. This is also a key little point about the goodness of God. It's very frustrating to people who aren't trying to be good. It's like, it's like the love of God is often seen as the wrath of God when you're not being loving. It's like the light of God is wrath to the darkness. Right, So the love of God is judgment to fear. And the invitation of God seems like resistance to people who want to go against it, who don't want to accept the invitation. I actually think that was really good. I don't think I've ever put that more succinctly. We should probably record that as a clip for somewhere because, man, that was good. Anyways, I'll see, I'll see if my producer can find it. Um, so this, this three times, boom, 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 boom. Was that four? Anyways, these three times, invitation, 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 recognition that you, you know, what you saw as, as a rejection of you and a promotion of David when the Philistines ran from him at, you know, uh, last time was it was actually the invitation to you to step into the fullness of the blessing and favor of God on you and the nation. And you refuse it, Saul. So I'm showing you David is innocent. And you've made a wrong choice. Repent. Not repent because I'm disappointed in you and I hate you, but repent. Get my perspective on this. I want everyone to connect to my presence. I've literally allowed each one of your men to be aware of my presence to the point where they also prophesy. Something that usually is only allowed, quote, like the only expectation, I shouldn't say allowed, the only expectation was the only people who could prophesy were the people that went to school and were trained by Saul. I'm showing you that I can do this for the nation. I can bring them all into an alignment with my plan and with my voice. And Saul, still frustrated by all this, he interprets all this as God is against him, and he says, fine, I'll go kill him. And he takes for himself a group of men, and he leaves, and he went to this great cistern this great place of water and he's like where is samuel and david and they're like there's they haven't moved like he assumes everybody's on the run they're like david hasn't run samuel hasn't run so saul shows up at the school he walks into the sanctuary and the spirit of god comes over him and he walks along prophesying until he gets there 
and and when he when he is finally in the sanctuary and everything is is like he he realizes that he has completely missed the the processing of God he's completely missed the will of God in this the love of God in this he strips off his garments in other words he takes off his royal robes he says you know what I am just like everyone else. I, in the presence of God, we are all equal. And he laid there, it says naked, but it probably doesn't mean he was naked, naked. It means he he didn't have any of his royal attachments on, which was unusual for, for Saul. Remember, this is a guy who went to battle with his crown on. This is a guy who walked around with a spear all the time and and probably wore his, his uh, belt and sword. So that everyone would know, I am the king, I am the king, I am the king, I am the king. And in God's presence, he's like, nope, no, we are all one. We are all one. And they all prophesied together. Yeah. And then, in essence, we're at the end of the chapter. But probably what happened is this. Saul went home. He didn't go home with David either. Because when you're in the presence of God, it's it's overwhelming. When light hits darkness, darkness leaves. When love hits fear, love wins. When goodness confronts evil, evil backs down. And when Saul ran into God, Saul went home. Now, he didn't really run into God. He just became aware of God. And I understand that sometimes we make it, we really do keep using vocabulary that makes it sound like God's out there, unavailable till certain times of day or night or, or certain behaviors make him available. But he was there all the time. And once again, Saul got a personal invitation from the Lord to stay aware of God's presence. And Saul backed down at least for a little while. And we will continue this amazing story in chapter 20 of of 1 Samuel. Oh, the intrigue. It really gets, I love this. I love this story. I love telling this story. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative. Epic Narrative.